if you would say to me what's one of the big differences and what was what surprised me maybe about podcasting was that when you make it and put it out you have to you have to go and find the people to listen to it Welcome to Chatting Over Chowder. We're your hosts, Bethany and Sherline. Chatting Over Chowder is a podcast where we ask people in the podcasting industry what podcasts they listen to while eating chowder. Join us for some fun, laughs, and tomfoolery. Get your spoon ready. We're about to dive in. Pauline Moore, thank you so much for joining us at Chatting Over Chowder. I am Bethany. And I'm Sherline. And we are the team collab of Crackers and Soup, which is a podcast management business. But you don't want to hear about that. You want to hear about Pauline Moore. That was so excited to have today. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so Pauline Moore is a former BBC radio reporter, producer, turned freelance podcast producer, editor on a number of podcasts and BBC. She is from Northern Ireland, but lives in Scotland. Pauline is also the co-host and producer of the, of the Talking Dairy Girls podcast. At one level, it's a fan-based podcast about the global hit sitcom Dairy Girls streaming on, on Netflix. It's about a group of school friends and their families and the scrapes they get into in Northern Ireland, city of Derry slash Londonderry during the 1990s. On a whole other level, Talking Dairy Girls is about the friendship of three women who have been close friends since the 90s when they worked together in the city's local radio station. Marie Louise, I did justice to that, right? You Pauline? did, yes, yes, I you did. did. Marie Louise, I practiced. Jeannie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Pauline have been praised for their inclusive nature of the podcast, which has provided a lot of humor, company during lockdown, and an insight into a very difficult time in the history of Northern Ireland. Pauline's also produced a true crime podcast, a podcast based on a live court case, a Scottish crime fiction podcast, and has just finished one on a street orchestra. She is also involved in shared reading projects and has been trained to do this in prison once COVID restrictions have been lifted. She also works with The Big Light, a Scottish podcast network set up by two phenomenal and supportive women. Pauline Moore, welcome! Pauline Moore, <laughs> Thank welcome. you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what a welcome, what a welcome. I'm so excited to have you. So <laughs> we connected um, just on a whim, I had said, I want to do more episodic story-based podcasts. And Pauline will dropped in and she was like, here's how you can do it. Here's 112 tips and tricks. And I was like, damn, Pauline, I don't know anything that you just said, but I want to talk with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said something like, if you want to do a true crime podcast or something that involves about six or six episodes right off the next six months of your life basically you know <laughs> yeah. in, in that conversation you were so informative like I was just in awe of all of the knowledge that you have all of your experiences and I do want to remind everybody that Pauline is in Scotland so we will not be discussing soup that we purchased for her because we cannot get soup out of the damn states. <laughs> I mean, I made my own soup. You so tell us about your yeah. own soup that you were forced to make because <laughs> of us. I should go and show. I'll show it to you later. It's sitting over outside of my hands' reach. I made a soup, and it's because it's St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yep. Happy St. Patrick's Day. So I'm wearing Day. green. I'm wearing green, and uh, it's a soup based on a, a lamb stock. 
So uh, we had leg of lamb a few weeks ago mm. and you know, so I roasted that and then you keep the bone and the bits of meat that are stuck to the bone and just boil it for quite a few hours and that makes a lovely um, stock. So then you put in barley and red lentils, mm. split green peas, lots of vegetables like leeks and carrots and onion and celery. And you just it goes really thick and it's very warming and nourishing and comforting for cold weather, which we've had a bit of. That sounds hearty and delicious. It's it <laughs> so good. Yes, and I yes. think it sounds even better because of your your dialect. Right? <laughs> it just makes it sound like that much more delicious. Like if Sherline and I said it, we're like carrots, lamb, <laughs> leeks. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but you're saying it so much better. <laughs> different, different. <laughs> so, uh, like, I am a hot sauce person. So is that mm-hmm. like uh, a dish in which you could add hot sauce to make it like a little spicier? Or is it like the type mm. of soup that the more it sits, the more it gets thicker and it gets yeah. more flavorful it gets and- more depth it, it's it, if you sit you, know, you never really eat soup or a lot of like irish dishes like that until the following day to let it sit and you don't put it in the fridge either you let it sit out you no know? let it sit let it just you know, get a bit of an age to it you know a bit deeper flavor yes you could put um uh my family would make this soup and put potatoes in it mm. cooked potatoes leftover potatoes You'd eat it with bread, wheat and bread, which is a, an Irish um, tradition. Uh, and or you could you could put sauce. Yes, some I know people put sauce in it, but we don't tend not hot hot sauce. I don't mm. think because the flavor of the vegetables that would cover it up. So yeah, mm. I love that. That sounds so. And we like my husband and I love lamb. So uh-huh. that would just be like. You don't get a lot of lamb. Do you eat lamb much? I mean, where my family lives, they don't eat a lot of lamb. You don't get it so much. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Right. We have lamb chops. I mean, I also think, again, it depends on your cultural background, too, because, like, my fiancé and I, uh, like, my my fiancé specifically loves lamb. So, like, we'll go at least uh, a couple times a month to um, the butcher shop to get some. Okay. And, like, we do it more, like, curried. Like uh-huh. curried yeah. lamb, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you do that, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, this is good. And I made it, and I froze it, and I took it out of the freezer, and just to. So I'll show it to you later. I'll show you what it looks like. Yes. It's green, thick looking. <laughs> it's perfect for the holiday. <laughs> yeah, my husband and I we eat a lot of lamb chops, and we also like for the holidays we'll get a leg of lamb, and we'll we'll roast it with some rosemary. Yes, that's exactly what I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And some olive oil. Garlic. So thank you so much for creating your own soup. You've got to figure out how the hell to get soup out of this country. Uh, One see, day. I'm your first international guest. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, you're gonna have to factor this in. I am. Yeah, but I, I could do. I could do. Next time I'm over, I can bring a job lot back with me. <laughs> and then I could, you know, post it out to people who, if you're talking to anyone else in the UK. Oh. Yeah. I would love that. Yes. Tell them the ridiculous black woman and Dominican lady. <laughs> and we want to find some way to get soup from the States to, to the UK. Uh-huh. Make it happen. International waters. Make it yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 
So Pauline, tell us your, you, you have done so much. Radio reporter, producer, freelance. You did a true crime podcast, which I'm so interested in, like hearing your story and how you got into it, how you got into podcasting and what entails working behind the scenes of a true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, the true crime podcast that I actually was bought in to do it. Somebody had started it and it was one of these projects, a BBC one, and it had been made, I, somebody started working on it, then it sat for a year because I think they ran out of funding or they didn't know quite where to place it. And then it moved into what we would call our investi- the, the investigations unit at BBC Scotland. And so they needed someone to produce it. And I'm a bit like, uh, you know, an emergency plumber at times. I get called in, can you come in and, and do this? So I, I sort of had to learn a whole new system of editing because it was actually easier. I, I, I made it on Hindenburg, if anyone knows that system. And it was somebody had started it on that. So rather than transfer it all over to the BBC system, it was easier for me to learn how to use it, use a new system, which was very useful as a freelancer because I'd been relying too much on what was in the BBC. But it's, um, so the story was sort of started and I had to pick it up with the presenter of it, the host of it. He has been working on it for about 10 years. It was, uh, he'd made a, t- a television documentary about it, he got to know the family. Basically, what it's about is a young man from Inverness, way up in the highlands of Scotland, who was found dying at the bottom of a multi-story car park in south, south, uh, east London. But he had been living in Germany, so he died. And the police came, this was 2000, year 2000, and decided that it, pretty quick, that it was a suicide. The family said absolutely no way. Families will often say that. But uh, we discovered that where he fell from was uh, a crime hotspot. And so we the, the, the whole upper story of this multi-story car park, and this is when I took over and sort of said, look, you know, they got so far, there was, there was nothing, we, the police weren't cooperating and people had let, moved on or left. Or, and so we went to London and we treated the multi-story car park as if it was a character almost, you know, that had a story, what went on there. So we found a former gang member uh, uh, from around that area. He was 14, 15. And he told us what life was like in that part of London and what it was like in the, in, in the multi-story car park. And he, he said that there was something like seven seconds of footage of him. Uh, this this guy, Ennis, Ennis Yurt was his name. And it was only about seven seconds of CCTV footage of him walking purposefully onto the top level of the car park and that was it and the next thing he was found. So, uh, you know, just going by the culture of the time, uh, what was happening there in that part of London. It's the part of London where the Olympics were held in 2012. So uh, you will have seen pictures of around there and it was very run down, quite a dangerous place. And they reckon that he came from Germany. He was maybe on his way back to Scotland and somebody had either grabbed his bag or something and he got into a fight or he had tackled somebody in this multi-story car park. But we don't know. And we made the podcast. It was a lot of, I mean, I, I was involved in it for about maybe eight, eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks, a lot longer than was <laughs> originally planned. 
But uh, yeah, so it went out and we were hoping that somebody would get in touch and maybe have us, you know, something that, you know, they would have seen him or, you know, he had been in quite a few places. And there was a whole backstory of why did he leave Germany? He lifted all his money out of his account. And he was in a good job in Germany and he had a girlfriend, but there was no explanation as to why he came back to, to London. None at all. So there was a big mystery around it. So Pauline, you are so sweet looking. Are you the one meeting up with these gang people and be like, hey, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> no, no. I pushed the presenter in. You go, you go. No, no. We, we just sort of did some research and I said, look, you know, there's something about the eighth floor of this multi-story car park that we don't know about. Why would he go up there to to jump? There, you know, there's trains nearby. There's there's other ways. And we talked to a psych, psychologist and he said, you know, that normally somebody that, that didn't short bit of tape showing him would suggest that he wasn't going up there it wasn't a spur of the you know spur of the moment thing and his bag was missing (laughs) so there was various things that suggested that there had been some something else that went on but it was it was more it turned into more an investigation into how the police handled it and how they were so quick to say to reach a conclusion uh, how they didn't maybe carry out all the proper forensic work because the decision sort of had been made that he had jumped. So, you know, it was as much a story about that as it was about um, who did it, you know. But we hope that by saying this former gang member said, you know, I mean, he'd been in prison and things. He was, he was you know, he's a young guy. He was only in his 30s. He was very enthusiastic about telling us, you know, he was really... You know, he's quite young, hip and trendy, you know, so he was, um, and reformed. He works with the police and, uh, now, and, uh, so Rahil told us quite a lot about what went on and what he was doing at that age, you know, running, you know, he would have been a young guy that would have run messages or lifted drugs or taken mobile phones somewhere, you know, you, you, that kind of activity. I, this, I, like, I find this so intriguing, but I wonder how responsive do you find that when you guys reach out to people um, to sort of give more information, um, are they? You know what I mean? Like, do most people actually, are they very willing to give info or do they kind of like steer the other way? Uh, well, I, uh, Mick, who was the presenter, had he had done a lot of the legwork over the years. So he was quite involved with the family. And had formed quite a good relationship with the family. So, um, Ennis's mother and his father and his sister, not his brothers, they all talked and did sort of extensive interviews. And then we found out, you know, we, we did get in touch. There were people, you know, just by going through the police files, for some reason we managed to get hold of a big uh, file of police notes. And, uh, I think they gave them out just before the legislation changed in that you couldn't share that kind of material. So Mick had this possession of this or the parents gave it to him or something. And so we tracked down some witnesses who'd seen it, but it's a long time. Um, people's memories are a bit dim. And But, you know, we did find some people said no. We had a bit of experience with somebody who uh, became quite obsessed with us doing it and what we wanted to know and had lots of conspiracy theories. So we had that to deal with and sort of just 
keep track of that. So you have to be careful. You really have to find out if people are credible, what they're telling you. And I mean, there's, they're quite very strict about this with, and especially in the BBC, that you would have different sources that match up. So it's, it is quite involved. And it's, uh, I mean, I've, I've talked to quite a few people since about doing true crime. And it was I recently talked, I think Bethany was somebody you put me in touch with, or put, you put them in touch with me. And I mean, she was, it's a podcast going out at the minute called Complicit. It's very good. Uh, based, uh, she's, it's based in Florida. But we were talking about this. We had a conversation and, you know, we were saying about that, about how far you can go and how, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the storytelling. Um, but you always have to sort of draw it back to the, to the facts or else, you know, you can get carried away with some maybe the conspiracy theories or some theories of people, but you always have to bring it back to what can we, where's the bit of paper that tells you? And that's as producer, that's sort of my job. And then I have to account to, uh, um, to a lawyer and a senior editor, a commissioning editor. So you'd have all these meetings about, well, if we say that, you know, quibbling over sentences, quibbling over bits of script and sort of saying, can we say this? Can we can we stand by this? If we were in a court of law, how would this? If we were questioned about this, how could we stand it up? So, and I mean, I, since then, I mean, I've I've been um, I've talked to a few people who've wanted me to do some true crime podcasts, but you know, the main people in it won't talk. They're in prison, but they wouldn't talk. And I said, well, you can't really, you, we can't go anywhere with that if they're not going to talk. So you know, you just have to wait until they do. So there's a lot. That's a lot of the time is just taken up with waiting and sending out letters and, you know, ones that are uh, signed for delivery letters. So people did write back, but I mean, we were contacting quite a few um, police officers and obviously something didn't go quite right in this and some people were disciplined for other things. So we sort of draw, you, you go down you go down alleys and then you, you reach a dead end and you think, okay, well, that's an interesting story. How much of that story do we tell? because it's interesting, but it doesn't actually go anywhere. So there's a lot of that. That's why, I mean, it takes over your life for about six months. Um, I love so what you yeah. said in regards to finding, making sure that every piece of what you're sharing is accurate and has a foundation somewhere else to be proved to be correct. Or correct to the best of your knowledge. You mean you? I mean, you know, if I if it was correct, it's not. People don't know, so it has to be, yeah, more as correct as you can be. Yeah, that's your intentions. Uh, You have to be fair to people. Um, But you know, there is still the 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 temptation. It is a story at the end of the day, and I'm afraid that you know the true crime is. People are entertained by it, I'm afraid, you know. Um, there's a writer here, a crime writer, that I, I've talked to about this. And she she um, has written about um, podcasts. She's, she loves true crime podcasts as well. But she said the difference between a crime novel and and a true crime story is that in, um, in a crime novel, people want resolution at the end. So you have to have resolution or it doesn't work. But in true crime, people will accept the messiness and the true crime is all nearly always, well, it's about relationships. It's about families. It's about, it's people. So it's a story about people and, and they're not necessarily evil or bad. Things go wrong, you know, um, things happen and that leads on to the next thing happening and the next thing happening. 
And so I always thought, I always keep that in mind, you know, that if it's fiction, people want a resolution. If it's true, they don't expect it. So that's a, something I keep in mind for the next time I'm doing a true crime podcast. <laughs> that is so spot on because I actually just finished reading a book. It's, it's called True Crime. And it's about this writer uh, for the New York Times. And he had written a piece about Afghanistan. But it, it wasn't a complete fallacy. Mm-hmm. But he had taken portions of it and took artistic liberties and he had gone gotten away with it for a portion of time, mm-hmm. and then his story became began. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, this man who had committed femicide, in, in which he, mm-hmm. he killed an entire family, his entire family, had escaped Mexico and used the disgraced New York Times writer's name. Oh as his alias. <gasps> That's scary. <laughs> which is wild. So when he was picked up, he you, they said, you know, you're going by Christopher Longo. You're going by your alias, Michael Fickle, but is your real name Christopher Longo? Because he was in Mexico. And he said, yeah, you know, you caught me, you found me. So the New York Times writer that was disgraced was contacted by a journalist. And they said, did you know that this man who murdered his entire family absconded and was using your name in Mexico. And he's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So he then began corresponding with with the man while he was incarcerated, inquiring, why did you choose me? Like, out of all of the people, why did you choose my name? And he was like, I liked the way in which you wrote. Because he was actually a fan of his. Oh my goodness. And it's so true what you were saying yeah. regarding true crime, like reality yeah. versus yeah. novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the journey that you go on really is a journey of the person and the family and the victims mm-hmm. and the experiences to kind of try to figure out what happened in this person's psyche to make him or her do what they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it is a, I, I wouldn't take on too many of them at one time. I, I, I think, I know people who are investigative journalists, I've got friends who are, and just, you know, love all this. They thrive on this. They, they get, I, I find it a brilliant, um, thing to produce and to edit because you are, if you're thinking of any kind, it doesn't have to be true crime, but any kind of, you know, Thing, any story that lasts over several episodes. It's how do you tell that story over that time? How do you get people so that they want to hear the next the next episode? Because I mean, you know, and it is, it's a bit like I would say writing a short story or, a, you know, a, a novel in some way with chapters. I mean, that's the, sort of the way I can think of it. Um, but that also has to be heard. And so it has to that people can, I mean, with podcasts now, people can go back and listen again, you know, so they, I do that, you know, if I'm out for a walk and I've missed a bit, I wind it back, you know, what did they say there, you know? So, I mean, that's new. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with somebody just a few days ago and we were talking about podcasts. In fact, it's, uh, it's a podcast I'm going to be mentioning, one of them at the end. And this man said, you know, we were talking about radio 
he loves radio and I've, my background is solid radio. And uh, he was saying that really now radio is the only live thing that people listen to. If you think of it, you know, people now watch television in a certain way, they, you know, streaming and they watch YouTube and they watch, they very rarely would sit down and watch something that's going out at the time it's going out. And with podcasts, it's the same. I think that's, you know, the equivalent now of streaming for radio. But with radio, and the difference between, I will maybe get onto this, but there's a big difference between making a podcast and making a radio program and how, how you view it. But it really struck me what he said, that that's about the only experience now of listening to something live as it is happening. You know, so unless it's a big news event or something on television that's unfolding, but you know, to listen to a play or to listen to something that's scheduled to go out at a certain time. It's funny because, um, you know, I think a lot of people do correlate, you know, podcasts with radio shows, you know what I mean? So it's, it is funny when you think about how, you know, obviously radio has paved the way for podcasts. Um, but I think it's, it's really neat to, sort of see the differences. So what would you say for yourself, I mean, aside from the live aspect, um, is a big difference from when you jumped from doing radio to podcasts? And what did you prefer? Um, there's bits I like about both. I mean, my I come from, my background is um, reporting and doing what we would call features, you know, sort of news features. So I used to get the wacky stories sometimes, you know, because I, I worked in Northern Ireland during the whole sort of not during the 90s um, and the, in the city I'm from, and it's my home city. And, you know, it it would be like going to the, sent to the council meeting, you know, the local council meeting and fa- come back with a story, come back. We want, in the morning, we want a 40 second voice or we want a three minute pack. We want three different bits of copy left for the six o'clock bulletin. So, and it could have been about street lighting. It could have been about, you know, it could have been a committee meeting. So, it's, it's that sort of, what's the story here? What's, what, what are the art? What's, what's, who's leaving the room? Who's coming back into the room? What conversations are going on? So, you know, there was all that. So, so that's my, that's sort of my basic, basic sort of work. But then I got into more making features and making then sort of longer form documentaries. So I, I, I was actually very well trained, um, in broadcast journalism in Cornwall in England. I was uh, way back when they started all these media courses. I'm going back now to 89, 1990. And it was becoming the thing, you know, it was becoming that you could train, but everybody, you know, people would go and they would do maybe a bit of radio or a, and some television and some newspaper reporting. There was not, there was one computer in the, in the classroom, you know, that computer. And, uh, we were trained really well in how to structure a feature and how to tell a story, how to use sound, how to build suspense. And, you know, so that was something, because it was a pure radio course. We didn't do anything else. We just did, that was it. So we left that course after a year and a lot of the people I'm still in touch with and we still, you know, and it, they, they said to us at the time in their training, this will always stand by you. This will always stand by you being able to make a feature. But then it went out of fashion a bit, you know, just uh, when I came to, to Scotland uh, at the end of the 90s, everything wanted, they wanted everything live. They wanted everything instant. They wanted you at the scene of something, telling the stories that unfolded. Rolling news started to come in. We didn't have rolling news up until 
you know, late in the nineties, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's not that long a phenomenon here. Um, I can't remember exactly when it came in, but, you know, so you'd have to break into programs to announce something. Uh, so, um, that went out of fashion. So, you know, I was producing live programs, live news programs, live arts programs, religious programs. So studio producing and having little features and sound within that as textures, they would call it. And then podcasting came along and they realized we don't have anybody that can do craft radio. You know, so oh, well, who's that woman that made that feature about the guy that went to Afghanistan and brought back all that sound, you know, and, and she made a program out of it. So, so then people started contacting me and saying, could you, because they wanted, you know, they were thinking it's, it's like a documentary. I don't think it is. I don't think, I think the skills at making a documentary, and maybe when you come to make a, um, a drama podcast or something, but they're not so, you don't get so many of those at the minute. You don't get, it's conversation, it's storytelling. And I think that that's where podcasting strength is, is in, in telling stories. And the, the great, the big difference from between doing stuff for radio and doing stuff uh, podcasting is the time limit. Because when you're making a, a radio feature, it's got to be 28 minutes, 30 seconds, or 28 minutes, 28 seconds. And you have got to have so many points of view now. You've got to have the whole story into the period if it's a one-off. Um, but with a podcast, you know, if it's going well, it could be 35 minutes. If it's going really well, it could be 40 minutes. If it's going really badly, it could be an hour and a half, you know. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's that. It, it lifts that. It's a bit of freedom, a bit more freedom to, to be a bit looser, to get a bit deeper into things, you know, so you can get more, you can go deeper rather than trying to structure something that has to be a certain length. So yeah, that's, I think that's it. And I think the, but then I think actually there's a lot of editing. There's a lot of time, I think as well with a radio program. Once you make it, it goes out, that's it. But now there's a whole culture of social media around podcasting. It's you make it. And that's, I think you would say to me, what's one of the big differences and what was, what surprised me maybe about podcasting was that when you make it and put it out, you have to, you have to go and find the people to listen to it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. You have to go about marketing, not only your podcast, but also yourself. Yeah. And yeah. there's so much that you have to take into consideration. You have to take into consideration your cover art, your your social media interaction and in, in creating templates and creating graphics. Uh-huh. And I, I see this also because I listen to a lot of story podcasts. Mm-hmm. I listen to things like Lore by Aaron Mankey. Um, I listen, uh, right now I'm listening to Inside Psycho. And it is all of the behind the scenes craziness that was happening in the making of Psycho. Right, right. And it's, and it's formulated from the very beginning of Ed Gein, who was um, the foundation of Norman Bates and his background story. And for people who don't know who Ed Gein was, he was a man in the 1920s who lived in Wisconsin and he had committed, he was going into graveyards um, and digging up people who had women that had recently passed and taking their skin. And then 
creating lampshades with with their skin and creating masks and he would wear them kind of like buffalo bill from sounds of the lambs who this was it was also based on ed gein um and he would keep them in his home so what had happened was the author of psycho who i can't remember his name right now he had heard his story and he wrote the book psycho alfred hitchcock had had come across the book loved it wanted to create a movie version of it (laughs) and it kind of like spiraled into all of these things and then no one had even seen a toilet in a movie prior to psycho (laughs) (laughs) so for them to have this blood curdling shower scene (laughs) was just unheard of and he had to get a pass the sensors and all of these other things so i love podcasts that tell a story and leave you on a cliffhanger and mm-hmm. you know at the end you're going to get the finality and the information that you want mm-hmm. 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 but having that storytelling experience how do you recommend somebody who is editing podcasts but editing conversational podcasts and interview podcasts what do you recommend that someone want to go into storytelling podcasts it's not a lot different, really, because, I mean, storytelling is conversation in a way. I think it's, it's, it's um, letting people talk um, and you have to find the people that have got good stories, you know, so you're, you're, you're seeking that out. And I mean, that's, that can be um, part of your own experience. So you might want, you have a story or a particular point of view that you, and you want to find You've got stories to tell. I mean, we, we do that a lot in another podcast that I work, uh, I can tell you about that. Um, and it's, it's the chemistry between the person that's telling the story and the person listening or joining in or coaxing the story on. But if you want somebody to sit down and script a story, um, that's a, you know, that, that's a bit more into sort of almost like the filmmaking or something, you know, so. Yes, that that is the question. Yeah. If, if somebody's yeah. if somebody is trying to edit a scripted story, mm, or or mm. be involved in the production side, because I know that yeah, that's a lot yeah. of people a lot of people um, believe that editing and producing are synonymous when they're truly not. Yeah, mm-hmm. producing is is craft stylizing and crafting topics for for people to talk about. Um, and it's also fact checking, as you had already said, yeah. and bringing that all together and yeah. being brave enough to say, you need to go find out more information or well, you need to redo that. The difference. I mean, one of the cultural differences between the UK and, and in America is that the producer is the boss. So uh, it's the producer. So I have, you know, worked with very experienced presenters and I have said, no, we're not doing that. And if they go against that they're they're you know i can you know you can report them or whatever but i mean it's kind of scary doing that because i've worked with quite experienced and quite you know because i think in america you know the the, the presenter is the the front person you know so you know if i watch rachel maddow could you imagine 
me saying to Rachel Matt, no, we're not doing that, Rachel. You know, we're not doing that. That's, you know, so. She um, would do the Rachel face and that would take me so much. Yeah, the thing is that that's, I mean, and, and that's a, a sort of, a, I suppose, maybe even a BBC thing. You know, it's um, the structure of the BBC, whereas, you know, I would have been part of the staff and a lot of times presenters would have been freelance or on contract. So you could have different presenters. So the sort of the, you know, that you, you work together is a very close. I've worked very closely with really good presenters, really and fantastic writers. I mean, writing for radio is a skill. And if you're writing a script, um, the thing is to build in the silences and to build it, to leave the gaps. I find that quite a lot of storytelling podcasts, are, they're too heavy on the words. You know, they're too dense. They're too... You know, you, you want to leave, you want to use sound as well. So you've got, you've got the microphone, but you, you want to bring in a bit of natural sound or sound that brings the, te- that it's, you know, sort of like completely on the nose, as we would say, to, you know, a car pass, and then you hear a car pass. You know, you, you, you let si- silence actually catches people's attention more than saying something. So if you have a gap, if somebody pauses and it's that, I, I, I'm on, on some of the same forums as, as yourself, Bethany and, you know, Charline, and, and you hear people saying, oh, I've got this um, a software that takes out all the ums and ahs and the silences. I scream at the, you know, at my phone and go, <laughs> or you'll get people who say, um, I'm starting a podcast does anyone know a good editing course? You know, and it's, it's, it's a skill. It's a learned craft. And it's something that, I mean, your ear gets tuned to it. You know, you get, you, you sort of know, you, let, you know, it's a bit like if you're a writer, you have to read. If you're going to be an editor or a producer, you have to listen a lot and, and, and listen to a sort of a variety of kind of programs. And, I mean, I would say I was a generalist in a way. I can, you know, I can, I, I did a, just as lockdown, a year ago, actually, this week, uh, as we all went into lockdown and we're told we had to leave. I was working in the BBC. I was actually making a podcast about a live trial. And I think I was told afterwards that it's the only time it's ever happened. And it was the minister of, former first minister of Scotland uh, so there's a big inquiry going on about it at the minute. I'll not get too much into it, but the, the BBC lawyer and a reporter were in the court every day and coming out and then recording what happened in court. So I was started off doing this in the BBC, you know, um, with all this. And then suddenly we said, no, you've got to go home and work from home. So it was lots of late nights and, you know, that luckily the BBC lawyer was one of the hosts of the podcast. So you know, so she could refer herself to herself. And I was there to just make sure that it made sense. You know, I don't understand when you say this, but that can't, or this, and she would say, I have to say it like that for legal reasons, you know. So it was, so, you know, that's that. There's that. I mean, court cases are great for story, for storytelling. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of different skills. And I think writing for radio is, is, um, Somebody when I was when I was training in radio, they said that writing for radio is like writing poetry. That every word has, and you have to think about every sentence. What is it saying? Because at that stage, people were hearing things once. You know, so if you were doing a news story and you told it, it had to, you had to hear it and get it. 
So, you know, you had to structure it quite well. But I mean, I think a lot of that, I think um, it's, it's painting pictures, really. It's, I mean, it can be the most visual, visual medium. I have a couple of friends I worked with. I produced a, a, a reporter who's blind. And uh, we did a lot of documentaries and things together. And I mean, he was amazing. He's one of the, his, his imagination, his uh, visual, being able to tell and describe things was amazing, you know? Uh, and I mean, because that's, he said, well, radio for me is like films. You know, everything's like radio. Everything I listen to, watch or whatever is radio. Uh, so love that perception. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, if you imagine if you're writing that you're actually right for somebody who can't see. That's the soundbite. That's, sound <laughs> that's going to be all over social media. That's it. Pauline Moore, drop the mic. That's that, There's nothing that else can be said. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, don't leave. <laughs> but, wow. You know, yeah. And and again, one of the podcasts I'm going to be talking about, you know, later is, is, is somebody who is also, he's also blind. Um, and he has a great way of, of telling stories and, and, you know, just, just because you, you know, you don't make those assumptions. So I keep that in mind. I think when I'm doing things that, um, and, and you know, it's, it's the intimacy of it as well with podcasts and one way podcasting is very intimate. Like the best podcasts, I think, are the ones that you're in, you're there. And that's the biggest compliment I've had about the podcast I'm working on at the minute, Talking Dairy Girls, is that people say, I'm there in Derry. I'm there in front of the Dairy Girls mural with you. And they feel like they're a part of the gang and one of and somebody did contact me once and said after some of the early ones we put out she says it's like being on the bus sitting a few seats back from three friends that are telling a story and you don't want to get off the bus until you hear the end <laughs> so you know there's it's that was a that was a, yes that's we're doing something right then you know that's I think but those kind of rules of thumb I think work across any kind of podcast you're so, you're so right. And inviting people to spy or to engage in those type of conversations mm-hmm. and make them feel like I shouldn't be listening, but it's just so juicy that I have to. And I really like that you introduced me to Dairy Girls because oh, I had seen it is- like when I was flipping through Netflix. Uh-huh. Now I'm binging adding another binge to me, Pauline. Like, I need to binge anything anymore. But (laughs) it's just been announced, actually, uh, yesterday or the day before, that it's the most, uh, one of the uh, top 10 most bingeable programs is Dairy Girls. It is hysterical. And Claire is my favorite. Okay. Uh And her, because her facial expressions are wild. Uh She says nothing and just emotes everything yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love her so much uh-huh. they all are and they're all so very different mm-hmm. but you know that they would do anything for each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the writer I mean we've been in this I, I, do, I don't know if you want to move on to Derek now, but we can yeah, this transition yeah 
We're moving okay. on to talking dairy girls. <laughs> so we're moving from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Which is who we are and what we do. <laughs> That's our so, show in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so Dairy Girls is, I don't know if there's anyone on the planet that doesn't know dairy, what Dairy Girls is. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a comedy a sitcom based on the city where I'm from, where I grew up during the 90s. And it's about five friends, school friends, who... As the writer said to us, because she's become a big fan of the podcast, she says, um, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's the most daft program. It's just, they're just complete idiots. And she says, I just wanted to write something where girls were just complete foolish, made stupid, stupid decisions, but were very close. Like the way comedies have been written for boys, but never for girls. So. Uh, that's at the heart of it, you know, that they, uh, have got big ideas. They're, they're 15, 16. They're growing up in a city that is, uh, is coming out of conflict and pretty horrific, but there's still a lot of conflict there, but it's in the background. It's like, it's like, and it was like growing up, you know, it was like when the aunt says, there was a bomb, a bomb scare, a bomb planted on the bridge and she's sitting watching us, how she's filing her nails and having her breakfast. She goes, I'm not enjoying this bomb at all. This is going to play havoc with my build-up from a have to get to Canada. And that's what it was like. So if you imagine anyone, you know, if you're living with the army in the streets and bombs going off and people being shot, and it just becomes, you know, the, the army would come on the school bus and they would all ignore them because that's what they're used to. Apart from one of the girls who actually is a wee English fella, He's a boy who ends up at the girls' school because he's English. And he was, and just, he was like, what is going on? Yes. Like, nah. yeah, and, the, yeah. and the girl was like, yeah. I would have sex with that one right there. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he said, if I put an incendiary device down my knickers, would he look for it? <laughs> it's like, so it is this crude. It's really, and then they swear like troopers. They are foul-mouthed. But that's what Derry's like. That's, but that's also what you're like, humor, no matter where so you dark. are. Yes. No matter yes. where you are in the world, when you're 15, 16, yes. and you're going into high school, people, and I love, mm-hmm. I love that you had interaction with the writer and what she had said, because people don't realize what 15, 16 year old girls talk about when they're <laughs> exactly. huddled together with their girlfriends. Yeah. It's yeah. pure stupidity and nonsense. Yes. And, yeah. she, and she has captured this yeah. so well. So yeah. it's not just, it, it, it's, concentrating on dairy and London dairy, but overall, this is how 15 and 16 year old girls interact with each other. And I love it. And that's why I would say half of our, the people that download our podcast are in America. She, Elisa, as if people have heard it, she took, she, she actually contacted us or she put it on Twitter. I mean, you don't, we just started doing this and we thought we'll give it a go. We had, you know, we were just playing around a bit to see how it would work. And uh, we put out, I think it was six episodes and she contacted, she put it out on Twitter. This is brilliant. This is my favorite podcast. So we invited her on. We were very nervous um, about having her on. But she actually said in the opening of episode 13, and we all introduced ourselves and Marie-Louise said, should we just giggle nervously for five minutes before we said it? And she said, I wish I had heard this podcast before I wrote the third series. I mean, what? You know, 
the, the writer, the creator of this, who's from Derry, and is younger, she's, she's a good bit younger than us. But, you know, to say that, you know, because the thing is, the world is waiting because because of COVID, because of uh, the actors becoming very popular and popping up in things like Bridgerton, and, you know, some of these big Netflix things and presenting other programs, it's just this, it's getting, proving difficult for them to be able to, to film the third series. So she has said that there isn't going to be any more after the third series, but she's talking about a feature film. So we have now, we are going to be in the feature film, we've decided. We're at the back of the bus with the nun. And with every other guest we're going to have on, we're all going to be at the back of the bus, going to Belfast from Derry to the Take That concert, you know, or something. But it's become, I mean, and, and, and as you say, it does ring true, I think, for, I mean, we have a lot of Canadian, American, Australia, New Zealand, Eastern Europe, India, Mexico, all across the world. We get the stats of, you know, 20, 30 people listening. What on earth are they listening to us for, you know? So our podcast, what we did was took one episode and we, we, so we just took clips from it. So we told our stories. We told, we, we, you know, we would talk about the series, but it, it was then how it related to us and, and what happened, you know, and some of our stories are, you couldn't make them up quite frankly, but we were all working. So they were at school during the nineties. They were at the Catholic girls school, but we were all working in the BBC at the time. So when they cover like the presidential Bill Clinton coming to Derry, I was actually working that day. I was covering it. Mary Louise's dad was the mayor. So he greeted Bill Clinton. So we had all that story to tell, you know, so we have all these sort of things. And Bill, there's an amazing story how Bill Clinton reached out, you know, they went into the crowd. <laughs> he wouldn't do that now. But he his came off <laughs> and holding people's hands and stuff. So, you know, Mary Louise had these stories because her dad was actually trying to find out who'd got Bill Clinton's wedding ring. <laughs> the Crofton Derry. So, you know, as I say, you couldn't make these things up. It's so neat to have, um, you know, something transpire into so much uh-huh. and then be able to first like I mean even with Derry Girls the fact that the writer is just so intrigued it just goes to show people what podcasting can really do Mm -hmm. for you and your business and how much of a marketing tool it is because you guys were able to market yourselves even bigger to to connect you know what I mean to someone who's actually hasn't got much beyond that yet (laughs) we've made up yeah I think that's it you know it's interesting you say that because you know we're doing this um I mean, this was an experiment for us. It was my idea. It was lockdown. And the three of us are very close friends for 30, more than 30 years. And we always, it's, we, with the chemistry between us is really, so we spark off each other, you know? So we just start off with, um, I'll say, okay, right, this episode's out. You know, it's just gone live. And it's us in Derry recording in front of this wonderful Derry mural of the Derry, the Derry girls, you know? And we got the artist who painted it but we booked in Jeannie booked us into a hotel and I got the best room so you know we started off the podcast and, I, and we said well how are we going to start this and I said well just ask me about the room and that was it that was you know it's not we, we sometimes sort of have a think right well, well we want to cover these things and roughly we want it to be 50 minutes and I don't want to have to do too much editing please and then I dropped the clips in so I picked clips 
from the TV series and drop them in. But now we've run out of TV programs. You know, there's none. So we have, when we had Lisa McGee on, we said, can you, know, can, can you write something just for us? You know, can you just, you know, and she said, no, no, keep going. Just keep, she was the one that told us to keep going. She said, it's you three, it's you three, it's listening to you. And, and we've had that, we've had people saying, you know, um, it's, especially I think it's, it's to do with timing and everything else. I mean, I knew from my visits, my family all live in America and being over visiting them. And then suddenly you'd be out for a night, you know, with my sister, I'd be out with my sister and my brother-in-law and we'd be in the pub and people would come up and say, I want to talk about Dairy Girls. What does it, you know, and they were just fast. There's something in this. And when I came back, I said, you know, this has got cult sort of growing cult status. Somebody's bound to be doing a podcast about it. And we looked and there weren't. So we contacted the TV station that, put it out here in the UK and told them we're going to make a podcast of this. And we never mentioned about using clips. You don't ask ever. You you just uh, you just do it and hope that you get and if they like it, they'll let you do it. But if they if you're being critical or using it in a in a way that isn't sort of in the spirit of the program, they will slap you down on it. So we got a bit braver in using more clips, a few more clips. So now the clips, now, but, but we just refer to them and people know what you're talking about. But we did get lots of feedback. We, it's, a gro- it's a slow burner, this one, I think. And people say, I've been taking you out and walk. I've laughed. I've cried. I've walked longer. You know, I've listened to it twice. You know, people have said, you might be able to binge watch Derry Girls, but you can actually binge listen the podcast. So, you know, we're getting really good feedback and there's a lot of fan pages out you know, fan groups so you know it's tapping into that but it is that sort of then how do you you know you talk about it in a business sense uh, that's another thing I think that's different about here to America we don't tend to always think and, and to make that leap into how can you make this um, pay how can you make this I mean we're doing it I'm a content driven person totally you know so I will that's, I'm a producer, I'm an editor, I'm a host. I'm not a business person, I wouldn't say. But, you know, uh, you've got to pay the bills and you've got to. So that's, we're at the stage now where we're thinking about that. But we, we've only made, we just made the 15th episode there. So it's quite new. Um, one other thing I would advise people is, I don't know when you're talking to people is, don't, if you start out, think of it in six lumps of maybe six episodes or eight episodes and take a break. Yes, I am a big advocate of seasons. Yeah. Yeah. In, in creating seasons. Yeah. And I love that you don't even realize right now that the cult following of Dairy Girls is now the cult following of Talking Dairy Girls. <laughs> so you have your own cult of cult following. <laughs> Congratulations. That's how you know Amazing. you've made it. When you have your own cult following, Pauline Moore, you have made it. <laughs> So let's talk about the other podcast that, that you listen to, because you, you spoke a little bit about it earlier, but tell mm-hmm. us what the name of it and why you listen to it. Uh, the podcast is called, which actually should in dairy terms, what about you? But uh, Richard Moore, no relation, he's no relation of mine at all. And he, he has made this podcast and his story is amazing. He um, is well known in Derry 
And I've known him, I know I've known of him and I've known him, I've interviewed him, I've had him on programs, but he is coming up to being 60. But at the age of 10 in 1972, leaving school, running home from school, uh, he was shot by the army uh, who had a, a watch, you know, sort of near the school, I think nearly, nearly on the grounds of the school, and they were running, they were shouting or something, he was 10, you know. And this soldier fired a, a what they call a rubber bullet, which would have been used to disperse crowds and things, you know, it was, and, and it hit him in the eye. It hit him, in, so he was blinded by this. But, I mean, and he, he, this turned his life, you know, this shaped the rest of his life. And he's set up a charity called Children in Crossfire, which he says he, his blindness made him what he is. And he said, like, he got a lot of support when he was young from his family. And in Derry, sort of, the, they wouldn't take they wouldn't you as you are. You know, they don't sort of, they wouldn't say, you know, he had sort of, he tells us, on, but he had him as a guest in the podcast, uh, which isn't out yet. But he said, you know, um, I was a celebrity. I was the wee fellow. You know, if you think of it, a wee nationalist fellow who would have been, you know, the army would have been seen as sort of the enemy. I was shot. So, I mean, I was the hero, you know, a 10. So, you know, um, <laughs> but he, so he, um, over the years, he owned pubs, he traveled, he, and then he set up this charity, which helps with children in conflict in Ethiopia and Tanzania. So he's built schools, but he, he looks at children from a very young age and thinking that if they have, they've got the right food, if they've got the right, you know, sort of classroom facilities, if they have bathrooms even at their schools it can make such a difference but he started a podcast talking to people who'd been affected by the troubles who'd been maybe injured or had a father killed or something or you know executed um and he did this one with this woman called claire boys who uh at the age of 15 was blinded and this was this was uh, I can't remember. It's, a, it's more than twenty years ago now. It was the end of the troubles, and features actually in a Derry Girls episode a bit, where there's a bomb goes off, and this bomb was one of the worst um, attacks in Northern Ireland, and it was after the ceasefire. It was when things were supposed to be peaceful, and it was a car bomb planted in this town called Oma, and it killed twenty nine people and two unborn children. Um, and I was working, I was covering that. I was sent to Oma to, to cover it and to talk to people and to get the story. And for weeks and weeks afterwards, we were involved in that. But he befriended a young girl at 15 who was blinded in the bombing. And he sat down and had a co- they had a, t- a conversation about being blind, about uh, what happened that day, the whole build up to that day, what that day was like for her. And she was going into the time with her friends. She was 15. And, you know, her, her school and how she wanted to stay on at her own school. And she describes, and it's, it's just one of those things that the power of a podcast and even radio can do. She described the journey from hel- by helicopter after she was, um, she had to be flown to Belfast to a specialist. She was, her life was in danger where the bullet went, or where, sorry, the shrapnel went into her, was near her brain. And, it was a life and death situation, but her father was in the army helicopter describing the journey to her to keep her awake. And so she was telling the story and they're just, the, just the, them telling stories and saying, Oh, I do that. And, you know, and, and, and it's just, 
it was one of the most powerful things. It was actually like listening to a feature film walking outside, you know, when you could, you could see in your, as he, as Richard calls it, his mind's eye. In my mind's eye, I, but they both had sight and they still talk about being able to see things and how they, you know, just that, their, how their imagination works and how they cope with things. And they don't see it as coping. They don't see themselves as victims. They see themselves as living with something that's happened to them. It's the most amazing podcast. It's called What About You? And, you know, I think Richard, and he let her talk. He let her tell her stories. Um, and I just think it was one of the most amazing things I've heard recently. Yeah. I could just listen to you for like decades and I'd be like, just somebody give me food and <laughs> some soup. Just somebody give me some soup, some lamb yeah. soup and lamb stew. Make sure uh-huh. it sits out. Don't refrigerate it. <laughs> no, no. Well, you only do that for the first day. You have to refrigerate it after that. You know, you just let it sit for a while. We're going to say, oh, no, no, no. You let it sit out for maybe just you make it during the day and let it sit to the next morning and then put it in the fridge. That's an important tidbit. Yeah. 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 No, don't let it sit out too long or else I'll be giving everyone food poisoning. <laughs> You'll be sued. We've killed all our listeners. Like, why are our downloads so low? <laughs> We've literally killed everybody. Yeah. Sorry. Beyond the grave. Yeah. Uh-huh. Our bad. Some Irish woman poisoned us. <laughs> but it was so good going down. I kept going back after I knew I was poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> Pauline, our last segment is called Bisque Please. And this is where you tell all of the people where to find you, where to find Talking Dairy Girls and all of the things. Okay. Yes. Well, we're on a, we're on a network. It's a very, it's a lovely network, a Scottish network actually called The Big Light, run by two phenomenal women, uh, Janice Forsyth and Fiona White, who um, set this up a year ago and invited me to sort of get involved in sort of developing some podcasts with them and producing some. And, you know, so Talking Dairy Girls is on that as well as a lot of other really good podcasts. So it's called The Big Light. But you would find, you'd find us there on Twitter. We're at TBL Dairy Girls. So that's The Big Light, TBL Dairy Girls. And on, uh, you see, I'm not so, uh, Facebook, Facebook's my favorite. Um, at, uh, that's just at Talking uh, Dairy Girls. That's it. That's on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not so good at Instagram. Mary Louise does Instagram, but we're not, we're not there yet with it. So it's at, at Talking Dairy Girls podcast. So you, you must remember that I'm actually just a year off being a baby boomer. So I was, I, I was listening to when I was listening to some of your other episodes and people were talking about millennials and, you know, uh, and I was listening um, to, I was listening again to, oh, now we see, I've written her name down, uh, Kimberly. Kimberly. And, and she, what she was saying about, uh, you know, different age groups and being slightly older and changing direction. I mean, and I was thinking about this today. I was having conversations with this, people about this today. And I mean, you know, we're all over 50, all of us. And you think, you know, you sort of, you sort of think, and, and it has been that people, women, especially in workplaces can become, sort of invisible or, you know, they just get on and do the job. But so I'm a bit of a champion about, you know, older women finding a new way of doing things, having skills like, you know, what are needed that actually, you know, so I've been involved in training 
some other people in workshops and things about story, you know, crafting storytelling and things and, and, and how to use sound. And as I say, you know, things like silence and, and just thinking about and finding the right people to make things with and why are they doing it and, and all that. So, I mean, that's the sort of an area I'm getting into a bit more. Um, so that's where you'll find us. That's fine. Was, and we've got, we've got a super have, little website as well. Do you have a course that you're doing right now in the art of, of storytelling? Telling formation and editing. That's that's your I want people to sign up for this. I want people to give you money. I want to give you money. Let me okay. give you money, Pauline. Anybody. I, I tend to get bought in to do these things. So I'll get approached. I mean, I uh, I'm so far, I've been freelance for 12, 13 years. And I've, I don't really think I've ever I don't have a website because I've never really had time to do it. And I haven't really been, you know, people it's word of mouth and people come to me and say, can you do this? Can you, can you do, you know, and uh, depending on what I'm else I'm doing at the time, you know, I still do a lot of work for the BBC. Um, and, and as I call it, the, some emergency plumber work, you know, whereas can you come in three hours ago and do this shift, you know, but I don't get that so much now, thank goodness. But so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, there was the, was the talking dairy girls and Marie Louise has her own com- production company as well and, and based in Belfast. So we've been talking about this, you know, we're at that stage now of thinking, well, what, where can we take this to the next stage and where, where can we, um, uh, you know, create a course or, you know, sort of rather than just randomly getting, can you come and do this or can you, you know, being a panelist on this. And so I'm getting, there's, that's happening more. And I think that's a lockdown thing as well, that a lot more people are doing things like this, you know, be able to see each other, talk to each other. And I think that's one of the, the good, the positive things to come out of it. The geography really isn't about, it's just geography, really. Yeah. You know? I'm going to hunt down Marie Louise and I'm going to say, look, <laughs> Pauline and you need to do a course on storytelling <laughs> and production. We've oh, had Jeannie's this chat. Jeannie's, Jeannie's a storyteller. She's the one that can spin the yarn. So let's yeah. bring Jeannie yeah. in. Yeah, let's let's have this, yeah, this yeah, yeah. Scottish trio collab. <laughs> we, can, we can sprinkle a little, a little black and Dominican in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. You have so much that that you have explained in detail and just I think you've opened so many people's eyes to the importance of storytelling and editing Mm -hmm. and the perfection of it and that's why you're such an expert in your field and that's why you're the the BBC plumber that's why you fix the emergency (laughs) (laughs) because you say it so nonchalantly but as I listen to you talk, I'm just in awe of oh. your expertise. <laughs> like it's, it's, Truly. it's just what I do. It's what I, it's 30 years of doing it, you know? So, um, and I think that's one of the things that maybe podcasting has brought about is about being able to step back a wee bit because, you know, you're, I was in a big pool of people who were all doing the same thing, but suddenly when that went out of fashion for a while and you know, I was plowing away doing it. You know, I was plowing away for years making documentaries and, uh, you know, different features and setting up programs that, you know, you sort of, when you take a step back from it, that you can actually, oh yeah, well, you know, it, maybe people, maybe everybody doesn't see it that way or, you know, doesn't see the importance of, yeah, you know, like a podcast where two people are sitting down chatting does need work afterwards because who would listen to two people just sitting chatting 
uh, <laughs> with cider being tightened up and made sense and this bit's moved there. And so those natural conversations just don't fall off a tree, you know? And my favorite thing is when my clients say, oh, you, you didn't really do anything. <sighs> but because- that's good. That's good because you should never, ever, ever hear a good edit. Yes, yes. And when they're listening back to to what has dropped and to what's available for the public, mm. that's the conversation they think that they had. Yeah, yes. Of course, nobody ever remembers what they say, so you can take things <laughs> out. Um, the other thing is I have edited, I mean, a lot of what I would do um, sort of in the emergency plumbing is, can you tidy this hour-long thing up, you know, and I'll say, okay. And then maybe like a day and a half, two days later, you take it to them and they say, all oh, right, that's done. I said, yeah. And they say, oh, I said, do you want to, I think you should actually listen to it before I edited it. So, cause it sounds like I did nothing. And, you know, in a way that's what it should be, but just keep the raw stuff to show whoever's hired you to do something to say, look at the 900 million edits in there and, you know, the fades and the, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you forgot about that dog barking. You forgot about that <laughs> horn beeping incessantly that your guests didn't think, hold on, let me close the window. Don't you worry. I got that. I got that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be out with me when we're out doing something in, in on location. I'm the, the, the meanie with the headphones. I mean, I go, right. Can you move that table? sit these chairs around here. I want the curtains closed. Don't put on the fluorescent light. Can you switch all your computers off, please? You know, and they're like, oh goodness, you know what? And I said, no, we have to do this. <laughs> Pauline, I enjoy you immensely. Thank you so oh, well, much. Thank you. It's been lovely to meet you and get to know oh, you all. Gosh. Cross hands across the, the water. <laughs> and I look forward to all that you continue to do. I look forward to taking your course because that is happening and okay, I am signing up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I look forward to us still engaging and keeping in contact. And I'm so honored that you are our first international guest. Thank you for saying yes. Oh, I'm so chuffed. I'm so chuffed. Thank you. It's been great and to do it on St. Patrick's Day as well. So it's just a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to Chatting Over Chowder. This episode is sponsored by Crackers and Soup. You can find out more about our guest and Crackers and Soup in our show notes. If you loved this episode, subscribe and drop us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay, stay super. super.